Truth Espresso, episode 46. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hello and welcome to Truth Espresso. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and this is Monday, the day after Mother's Day Sunday. And so I decided to take a break from our series on economics and remember and recognize the greatness of mothers that God has gifted to us and given to the world the wonderful gift of motherhood. I would especially love like to thank and recognize my own mother who through thick and thin through very difficult situations during childhood during my childhood uh, from birth complications and through various health issues through issues of very difficult uh, times of poverty finance my mom has always been one to work hard and to keep me on the straight and narrow and so much of what I am today I, uh, is a result of the hard work and persistence and care and nurturing of my mother so mom I would like to thank you very much for all that you have done for me. I want to honor you in that. I also would like to recognize my own wife who through a lot of difficulties uh, regarding medical issues with our own children, has uh, persisted and fought through things, and I with her, and I would like to thank my wife for always loving me and caring for me and caring for our children, working very hard as a mother and as a nurse, and um, I would like to say that without her, as a husband and a father, I do not know where I would be, and so I know she doesn't always recognize how wonderful she is, but I'm going to let her know. So, honey, darling, sweetheart, the love of my life, I'd like to thank you and recognize you and honor you for Mother's Day 2020. And of course, I'd like to honor my grandmother, who was a mother to my mother, and I know that things were not very easy during the time when she was a mother, raising my mother as a child in the South, in Florida. There, is, there were a lot of issues going on at that time, political issues and difficult issues in our nation, and um, they did not have the easiest life, And but uh, my grandmother stuck through that, and she has definitely been a very sweet lady lady through her entire life, sweet to me and my wife and mom and to her other grandchildren and my children who are her great-grandchildren. So, Grandma, thank you for all you have done. Uh, you are definitely honored this Mother's Day. And so, I would like to thank all the mothers out there 
that God has given us and know that you are loved and know that you should be loved. You deserve to be loved as you follow in God's design for motherhood and as you desire to nurture and care for your children. Sometimes you're not recognized enough for that. And so for this episode, we'd like to get into three different examples of mothers in the Bible. For Mother's Day, I want to look at some mothers in the Bible and how they provided us an example for which to follow, examples from their lives which we can observe and copy and mimic and take to heart. And I hope that these particular mothers in the Bible will give the mothers in our lives some hope and some encouragement and some role models. So the first mother in the Bible that I'd like to get to is Eve, the mother of all progeny. Now you might be asking yourself, Eve, why would I think of Eve as an example. I mean, Eve, being the first mother in the Bible, became the first mother on very difficult situation. In fact, the one of the first things that we know about Eve is when she was deceived by the serpent. Yes, um, unfortunately, the first mother in the Bible was the one who was deceived and ate the fruit and she gave to her husband Adam and he ate and you know we see that example and we 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 want to deride this first mother in the bible but may i encourage you that eve is not diminished not looked down upon that much in the bible in fact there are things about eve that really should be honored and given much more uh, recognition than what we would often think should be given and especially as we compare eve to her husband adam and how much adam is treated in the bible Eve looks a lot more like a saint compared to Adam, and I believe that even in the fall, God gave Eve and God preserved for Eve the blessedness of a mother's heart. And so Genesis 3 verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now let's note something very particular and interesting about this statement. Nowhere in the Bible is Adam ever called the father of all living, because the title or the description, the mother of all living, seems to be kind of an honorary title. It's a, it's a title that bestows a lot of honor, and but yet Adam is never called the father of all living. Much of what is said of Adam in the Bible that we can observe after the fall is rather negative. Now, let's look at what uh, Matthew Henry, the great early Reformed commentator, said of Eve in his commentary about when Eve was created from the rib of Adam. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, quote, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, 
nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And so Eve was created to be beloved by Adam, and this wasn't beloved conditionally upon not disobeying the commandment of God but to be beloved by being taken from the rib of Adam, Eve being from the man, from the rib of man, he is given her to love her in any situation. And let's note this, although Eve was deceived by the serpent, Adam was not deceived. This is not to knock on Eve. This is, in fact, to knock on Adam. Adam had the direct command of God, had the very words of God spoken audibly by God to him. We have no evidence in the Bible that God spoke directly to Eve until after the fall in the the judgment in the garden. But Adam knew better, but yet Adam allowed Eve to give him the fruit, and he ate the fruit. And so Eve was deceived, and so we can have a little bit of understanding for Eve's action because we can look upon that as a failure on the part of Adam to protect his wife Eve and to give her the commandment properly because she thought that even if she touched it, she would die. And so that was one thing against Adam— that he did not really give Eve the command properly. So Adam had the direct commandment of God, and yet because Adam as the federal head disobeyed, the condemnation is really upon Adam. So Adam being the federal head of all and passing sin and death upon all was his doing. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, speaking of Jesus. The first expression of faith that we actually have recorded in the Bible after the fall didn't come from Adam. It came from Eve. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, we see, quote, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, unquote. And so this expression seems to be an expression of faith, as many commentators note that this expression could possibly be that since 
we have the protevangelium in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would be the one who bruised the head of the serpent. The, the Messiah would actually come through the seed of the woman. And so this very first expression of faith could be that Eve thought that her first son here was actually the one who would redeem them, the Messiah. Of course, that was not the case. Um, this, this first son was Cain, who turned out to be a murderer, but this is the first expression of faith in the promises of God, and it came from Eve and not Adam, at least as we have it recorded in the Scriptures. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, and we have the promise that comes from the Messiah, and the verse says, quote, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, unquote. So death comes through Adam. But Eve is the mother of all living, and remember that Messiah would come through the seed of the woman. And so, if you're considered the seed of a man, although the Bible says that no one born of women is sinless, yet the one, the Messiah, who would be born of a virgin would be sinless because he did not inherit the sin nature from Adam. He was born of a virgin. He was the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. And so the curse of sin and death comes from the progeny of man, but life comes through the woman. And so let us not think low of Eve. Let us think highly of Eve as Eve even in some sense, can be an antitype or even a type of Mary later on who would bear the Messiah. The seed of the woman Mary was the Messiah, and as God said in his curse that there would be enmity between the serpent, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman, not the man. And so Eve is definitely someone whom we should consider not to belittle, but to honor as the mother of all progeny. So the second example of a biblical mother, a mother in the Bible, who is an example for which we should honor is Hannah, the mother with a promise. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8. And so we see that there is this man named Elkanah, this uh, patriarch, who had two wives, Penina and Hannah. And yet Elkanah loved Hannah more than he did Penina. Of course, this shows often the struggles, in, in, especially in the Old Testament, where you had more than one wife in Israel for a, lot, for a lot of men, and the problems that caused would be favoritism and struggles between the wives, and ultimately God created one man and one woman. Yes, he allowed multiple wives for men in Israel related to land promise. That's a topic for other episode, but nevertheless, there was this struggle between the two wives of Elkanah, Penina and Hannah, whom Elkanah, her husband, favored the most. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8, quote, Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, 
Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Unquote. So what was the context of this? Uh, Elkanah's wife, Penina, had born to him multiple children, but Hannah was barren. Hannah was not bearing any children, and this caused Hannah to be oppressed by the other wife, and Hannah strongly desired to bear a child. Now, let's just stop and pause for a moment and consider the way Elkanah worded his his encouragement to Hannah as it was. Elkanah spoke kind of like a typical husband to Hannah. He tried to help her, it seems, but he didn't really think through his words. Am I not better to thee than ten sons? (laughs) Sorry, that's not what a grieving, infertile wife needs to hear, Elkanah. I'm sure he meant well, I think. It's it's hard to tell from the context. Um, According to 1 Samuel 1.5, it does seem that Elkanah favored Hannah most highly, but, you know, women... Wives, mothers, men can have a tendency to be just a little bit careless with their words. So, words of advice for men. Never belittle, never diminish, never be flippant about the issue of children towards women, especially your wives. But never be careless with your words towards women when it comes to the issue of children. I'm sure Elkanah was trying to comfort Hannah in her distress, in her moment of sorrow, by showing that her barrenness would not affect his favor toward her. Because, as an aside, barrenness in the culture of Israel of this time was often considered judgment from God or a lack of favor from God. Remember, let's let's recall that Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel, believed that bearing children would win the favor of their husband Jacob, as we see in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, through chapter 30 and verse 24, we see Leah bearing children, and she repeats the idea that this would win favor from Jacob toward her, and Rachel struggled for a while to bear children and eventually she had Jacob bear children through her handmaid as a proxy, thinking that that would win favor in her eyes. And then Leah kind of returned that favor and had children born through her handmaid, through Jacob, to try to win back any favor. And it was kind of a battle of the wives over children for Jacob's heart. And it seemed that that was really not the case, Jacob did not really express favoritism to his wives based on whether or not they bore children or how many children they bore, but that was their idea because that was the culture at the time. Because one of the judgments in Deuteronomy, if the the Israelites as a nation did not keep the law, then one of the judgments would be barrenness. And so, 
women took that very seriously, and sometimes they might have had the superstition that favor from their husband or favor from God depended upon them having a fruitful womb. Even whether or not that was true, that was the sentiment. And for an example, let's look at Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. Quote, and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Unquote. So this expresses the extreme distress that Rachel had for bearing children. And she was distressed about her favor from Jacob over that. She was distressed about her favor from God over that. Because before this, in the previous chapter, Leah, as she was bearing three children, one after the other, she praised God and said that God had recognized her and God was blessing her. That was the culture at the time. And so, let us not really laugh at Rachel's statement there that she felt like her life depended, that all she was as good as dead if she couldn't bear children. Let us understand that this is something that God has given many women whom God has created a strong desire and a strong passion to be a mother and to nurture children. This is something that God has woven into the fabric of the personality of many women. And those of us who are alive on this earth at the time have to thank God for giving women that passion, because if they did not have that passion, many of us would probably not be here. So, we need to take this desire and this passion very seriously. And so, as this is background, Rachel and Leah's struggles as background, we move back to Hannah. And we can see why Hannah was very distressed when her rival, her adversary, as it's said in the chapter, the, the other wife of Elkanah, who was bearing children, was oppressing her about that. And Hannah was very distressed. And Elkanah's words back to Hannah were no comfort, just as Jacob was no comfort to Rachel when she said this, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob allowed himself to get a little upset about her emotional distress, saying, Why would you complain about this? God is the one responsible for keeping you barren. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not an issue for me. I'm not going to love you less, you know. But, you know, it says that Jacob was angry at her for the way she was acting. And, of course, Jacob's words did not help Rachel, and Elkanah's words did not help Hannah. So, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, as uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Understand that God gave many women a strong passion for bearing and nurturing children. This is really no laughing matter. This is nothing to dismiss or take lightly. If there is any distress about barrenness, infertility, or a miscarriage, or any kind of loss of a child, you cannot simply dismiss it with words. You cannot solve that 
or heal it with a quick remark or anything that begins with, well, at least, whatever. You need to be ever tender, men. You need to be supportive. Husbands, you need to be relentlessly gentle and comforting because you need to praise God for the strong passion that your wife, your mother, that women have as a as a gift from God, that passion that they have for children, because it shows that God has given them this intense love that even men sometimes can't wrap their minds around. And so Hannah, in her distress, prayed to God, and the priest Eli even thought she was drunk because of how intently she was praying to God. But what was she praying to God for? Not just to have a child to compete with her rival, not just to have a child, even in her mind to please her husband Elkanah, but she wanted a child so that she can devote him to God. First Samuel one eleven says, quote, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head." And so she was willing to give him as a Nazarite, and have him take the Nazarite vow, and really, even as a mother, she wanted God to give her a child, and she would give him back to service to God, even if it meant that as a very young child, she would give him over to serve as a Levite in the temple and not really get to see him very much. He would be raised partially by the temple, by the priests in the temple. And so this is this is a kind of love that you know many men really cannot understand but we can only thank God for it. And so Hannah is an example of a mother with a promise. So number 1 Eve, the mother of all progeny. Number 2 example Hannah, the mother with a promise. She desired children for a good cause to serve God as we see her praise in 1 Samuel 1 verses 27 through 28. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me by petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there." Number two, Hannah, the mother with a promise. And now finally, number three, Jochebed, the mother with protection. You might remember the story that we see in the unfolding of the Exodus in Exodus chapter one, that the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph was becoming concerned with the growth of the nation of Israel, the the slaves, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, how they were growing in number. And he did not want to give up his slaves who would build for him pyramids and temples and work in the fields to provide food for the king of Egypt and his household. And so he came up with this 
elaborate plot, and it seems all too familiar because we could compare what the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, said about killing the male children among the Hebrews. We can compare this with King Herod during the time when Jesus was a baby, that Herod ordered all the young baby boys slaughtered because he feared that his throne was in jeopardy if someone should rise as the promised Messiah and rule over Israel. These men with power who did not want to lose their power over people because it gave them an easy and lavish life. And so the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, ordered that the midwives who, as they're giving birth to a child of the Hebrews, that once the child comes out, if it's a male, they were to report it. They were to ensure that this male was killed. But in Exodus 1.17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men-children alive. And so the nation of Israel, anyone who is an, an Israelite who descended from the twelve tribes of Israel, those who are alive to this day, owe their existence to the faithful midwives at this time in Egypt when the midwives, under penalty of death, disobeyed the king of Egypt's orders, and because of their love for children, their love for life, they feared God and did not obey, but they saved the men-children alive. And, you know, as an aside, we'd have to recognize that these midwives were true midwives because midwives are supposed to care for life and care for children, care for mother and child, unlike their, you know, the midwife profession today. Unfortunately, they, you know, it's like not exactly the same order as we they had then with the king of Egypt ordering all boys killed, but there's still this order that if someone does not want a child to live, that the midwives are somehow supposed to favor this and birth a child out of one side of their care and terminate a life out of the other side. And this is all supposed to be wrapped up in the package of care. The midwife profession, along with the medical profession, the doctors and the midwives, today associations all support the travesty, the murder of children, the unborn, as a part of medical care. But we should take the example of the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and when the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, commanded that children be killed, it was the midwives who feared God, and it is an act of fearing God to save the children alive, not to kill them. So these midwives are an example of the heart that God grants to women, especially for that love, that care of children, that care of nurturing children and preserving their life, not taking the lives of children. And we see that God blessed the midwives for for protecting the lives of these unborn children. We look down further in Exodus chapter 1, verse 21, 
And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. So God blessed these midwives because they cared for children and they preserved their lives. And so we can see from this that God does not favor the taking of life. God favors what he made women to do, and that is to care for children and to nurture children and to raise children. Now, I know this point is about Jochebed, and we haven't gotten to Jochebed yet in this example number three, but it is kind of fitting because this is the same situation. The midwives, the Hebrew midwives, saved the lives of the baby boys despite Pharaoh's order, and now we see Jochebed, who is Moses' mother. And Jochebed, like the Hebrew midwives, also risked her life to save her son. So, in Exodus chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, we read, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. So, She, like the Hebrew midwives, hid this son from the evil Pharaoh and preserved his life. Now verse 3, And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And so this shows the faith of Jochebed that she had to trust in God as she was hiding this boy. And now her son, her very own son, it's a very touching and gripping story about, you know, a mother would never want to give up her son in the way that Jochebed did. But to best preserve his life, she realized that she, you know, to preserve his life, she might never get to see him again. But with faith in God, she put him in a little basket and put him in the river, and it was headed toward the Pharaoh's daughter. And as we know, the story of Pharaoh's daughter found him in the river and actually had compassion on him and then ordered for a Hebrew woman, which turned out to be Jochebed shortly, to uh, nurse the child. And so Jochebed did get to perform her motherly duties with baby Moses then after all. And so The story of baby Moses was a happy ending for that time, but Jochebed could only trust God with the results while she tried to protect him. And so this example number three is Jochebed, the mother with protection. You know, sometimes it seems that there's a lot of almost political idolatry for, it's like, you know, sometimes we we can't forget the sacrifice that soldiers make in the armed forces, that men who are willing to risk life and limb to um, protect freedoms. There's lots of political debate over that issue, and, you know, we should not forget the sacrifice that often men in on the battlefield do to protect liberties, but we often don't realize that not all protection of life is in the form of brute strength and strength of hand and strength of foot and carrying weapons. 
we see that Jochebed is an example of a mother who didn't have great strength, who couldn't just fight in a war and fight in a battle and fend off Egypt's armies and protect her children that way. No, God gives women and gives mothers love that they would be willing to go through tremendous efforts in their fight to protect the lives of their children and to nurture their children in ways that men could never conceive of, in ways that would be difficult even for many men to imagine. And we can't forget what God gives to women, what God gives to mothers in their own ways to protect children. And so I hope these were an encouragement to you for Mother's Day. We looked at three examples of mothers in the Bible. Number one, Eve, the mother of all progeny. Number two, Hannah, the mother with a promise. And number three, Jochebed, the mother with protection. And so I'd like to say, in conclusion, mothers, wives, we honor you. We would not be any of the good that we would be if it weren't for the sacrifice and the labor of love that mothers provide. And so, happy Mother's Day to all mothers everywhere. May God bless you. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 